Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Do you recall where you were when DC and Marvel announced they'd be bringing back the $2.99 cover price? Ram McMillan and I do, because we are right in the middle of recording. In this first of two installments for episode 15, we review the ever-changing marketplace as we scrutinize the editorial lineup change at Vertigo, Bob Harris's career change at DC, and then try and suss out what the reaction will be to DC's price-changing announcement. It's like watching the news from a month ago get in a bar fight with the news from two weeks ago, and you are there to get covered in stale pretzels and beer. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hello. Comics. Comics. Wow, that was actually much, much better. Uh, <laughs> you really sounded like the Phantom well, we of do. the Long Box or something in a we Scooby-Doo should, we episode. We should work out some sort of way that both of us can sing, which will be part, and then do like a half barbershop quartet. <laughs> that would be great. There, there would be some problems uh, as far as it goes with my inability to sing, but you know, yeah, we... mine, mine as well. Yeah, okay, that, that's that'd why be perfect. We have to learn. Actually, most people can sing in my work. <laughs> That's right. If one of us could sing, it might show the other one up. But if neither of us can sing, you're right. It would be like kind of awesome. Hmm. Good plan. Let's let's get to work on that. We can have our own theme song that we sing by the beginning of 2010. <sighs> yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So there's a car alarm happening. I know. It's kind of weird. <laughs> it's this neighborhood is so ridiculously quiet. It's Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want car alarms. Mm. I say that and like, cause you know, uh, Gina Gagliano lives in Brooklyn, I think from, um, for second books and Meredith Warner lives in Brooklyn. And really? Like all, all these people live in Brooklyn. And so they're not going to kill me. They're not going to be like, really? Yeah, Fuck you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fuck you. Like Brooklyn should be loud. But, um, no, it's Brian Woods in Brooklyn. Brian Woods loves Brooklyn. I seem to remember him on many an occasion to talk about how much he loves Brooklyn and how wonderful it is. Yeah, it's truly, truly an amazing place. It, it really, and of course over here at Fort Greene. I mean, we went over and saw some friends. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think where we saw them. It wasn't exactly Williamsburg. But um, but it, it, it was also lovely over there as well. No, it's just been, it's kind of just, Wall to wall, I mean, you know, the, everything's still green and lovely, but like with all the brownstones and everything, it's just an amazingly soothing place. It's kind of, kind of not what I was expecting in a way from from visit from a New York visit. Even though you know we'd spent a bit of time over in Brooklyn and we knew we liked it, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just outrageously nice. So. Uh, yes. Which totally isn't comics, which we just Yeah, I know. Said. I'm like, good job. First we're singing, <laughs> then we're, we're willing to talk about everything but. So, should, should, should we let the listeners into the fact that we've already talked for half an hour about everything, <laughs> including our own social plans, and then thought we should start over and talk about comics, only to not talk about comics for three minutes? Yeah, yeah, we should You're probably let listeners. them know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this is going to be some sort of incredible, like, slip on a banana peel kind of, you know, thing where we'll be doing this four or five times. So eventually by the sixth installment where we mentioned that we've been talking for three and a half hours and are just now getting to comics, you'll finally get the joke. So, so here, here's my question. Do you want to talk about comics or do you want to talk about comics news? Because since we've last done one of these, a lot has happened. I know, exactly. In fact, I was thinking that very same thing between our previous um, uh, 
uh, not for broadcast call and this one. I think we should start with maybe the comics news roundup, and then in our then we can do another installment where we talk about the comics. Yes, let's. Indeed. Do, do you want to get started with Newswatch? Uh, please do. We should have like a little ticker tape thing. Or exactly. Yes, by we, all means. We've been doing this for far too long. Um, I mean, where do you start? Okay, Bob Harris is new editor-in-chief of not just DC Universe, but all of DC Comics, including Vertigo and Mad. Right. That's That was the bombshell. Uh, the great thing is, is like, I kind of... I you know, have been out of the loop for a week. It doesn't sound like anything his other bombshells have really dropped since. I I, I think the three bombshells have been Wildstorm closing, which is funny because I I seem to remember last podcast, we pretty much agreed that Wildstorm served no purpose, but it would all stay around. Right. (laughs) Obviously, uh, Jim Lee heard that and thought, well, screw you guys, I'm closing Wildstorm. (laughs) Um, Bob Harris and then the vertical thing, and to me, the vertical thing is the, I don't want to say it's the bigger news, because obviously Bob Harris is the biggest news, but I think vertical is the news that has more impact than people think. Yeah, that's the one where it's kind of, uh, depending on, on how much um, how much weight you're willing to give it in terms of, of the shape of the future, it could, it could be a huge, huge game changer. Um, well, what makes me really nervous about the vertical thing, which, you know, let's admit, has still not been officially confirmed by anyone. Wow. It's still in the realm of rumor. Um, and it's a week later, and no one has confirmed or denied it. So, I mean, I think it's safe to say it's it's happened, and it's just that no one's admitted, admitted it. But, no. yeah, it's, it's still not been confirmed or denied. Uh, what makes me nervous is that the three people they got rid of... Mm-hmm are pretty much three people I would have kept. Right, yeah. <laughs> they're, 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 they're the people who are doing the interesting things in the company. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Will Dennis is heading up Vertical Crime, which I think is a failed line. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's produced anything of worth at all, to be honest. Right. Um, Shelley Bond and Karen Berger, I honestly get the feeling at this point, are lifers. Interesting. interesting. Well, I, I, just, I just think they are. Or that or they're going to get fired. But I... And I, I think both have done amazing work in the past, but I honestly can't think of the last high-profile thing that they edited. Yeah, I, I know exactly. And what by high-profile, I kind of just mean interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally, totally. Well, that that's it. The um, One of the three that got sacked was, you know, uh, and God bless me, maybe you can, do you know how I, to say You're, you're going to say porn psych pincho, right? Yes, yeah, it's, I know. I know the guy you mean. I know. I don't know who to say his name. Yeah. So uh, we apologize to both our listeners and to him, should he be listening, in that we blundered his name because he was the guy who developed, you know, uh, was the editor of Unwritten, which was one of the few is one of the few hits at Vertigo, apart from maybe He's... American Vampire, I guess. Yeah, but which he also. Oh, was did he? The oh, okay, so... and he was also the editor of Day Tripper. And I believe he was also the editor of um, iZombie. Wow. He's basically the guy who's been developing new series. He might not be the iZombie editor, now that I think about it. Okay. That might be the other guy who's still there, whose name I can't remember, Mark Doyle. Mm. And now that I'm looking at it, Mark Doyle also seems to be the editor of American Vampire. 
Oh, interesting. Okay, so it's kind of split so, the so difference. Mark, yeah, so Mark, Mark, Mark Doyle is, right. is there. But no, so they got rid of, of, um, of him, mm-hmm. and they also got rid of John Hilty and Jonathan Banken, who have been heading up the graphic novel line, which is pretty much where the interesting stuff has been coming out of that hasn't been the serials that we've been talking about two seconds ago from right. the other guy they got rid of. Yeah, exactly. Every, to me, all the critical successes of Vertigo mm-hmm. has have been spearheaded by these people that they've just gotten rid of. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I mean, I, definitely it was interesting for me to like hear you talk about uh, the book um, Cairo, is it? Uh, and then see... Oh, the, the Israel book? Yeah, the Israel book. Uh, I mean, I, it, loved, I loved Cairo as well, just to... Right, know. no, no. And I think, I can't remember if they were both developed by Joan Hilty. But but yeah, no, the, the the few recent titles that were coming out of Virgo books, one of which you had said great things about, and then to see that editor get sacked. So it was kind of like, wow, like that, we sort of had talked a little bit about what we thought the future of the Vertigo book line might end up being. This really casts a far... Oh, I, I, think, I think the future of Vertigo book line is it will not exist. Now. Right, exactly. And I, I think the future of Vertigo is that it is going to get, apart from... Um, I've just realized I know why Shelley Bond is staying and I know why Will Dennis is staying. As I'm talking, I was like, oh, I know why they're staying. Why, okay, and why would that be, sir? Shelley, Shelley Bond is responsible for fables. Oh. <laughs> Wait, is she? Yes, <laughs> Shelley Bond's the fables editor. Uh, but was she initially... Uh, I, I'm just curious because I don't, she, I don't know, but she's definitely been responsible for it since it has become Vertigo's right. franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, uh, and Will Dennis not only doing the crime line, but also he does. I think he does Northlanders, and he definitely does Scalped. Yes, he does Scalped, and he did. Uh, I don't and necessarily I think, I know if it's DMZ. I think he does the DMZ books as well. Right, and he did uh, Other Side, of course, with Jason Aaron and Cameron Stewart. Yeah. Uh, which again, critically acclaimed. I don't necessarily know if they count it as like a big seller or something. But, but um, no, I, I just I th- I think Vertigo's future is now going to be apart from um, the long running titles, apart from like a Hellblazer or a Fables and their respective spinoffs. I think it's going to become a tiny little boutique. Mm-hmm. I think Vertigo's importance is going to be really dramatically lessened. Um, and I, I think that I think that's terrible for DC. Mm-hmm. I think that that's such short-term thinking that it is insane. Yeah. Purely because um, Diane Nelson has admitted in interviews, Diane Nelson, the, the president of DC Entertainment, has admitted in interviews that um, new IP is what she's interested in as much as managing the existing IP. Right. But DC Universe has not come up with new IP. Right. Vertical is what comes up with new IP. Well. And this is where I think that they're making a, a huge mistake, and I can also sort of see where they're making it. In, in the idea of, and this sort of ties back to something that I think that uh, Hibbs wrote a, critic, a Savage Critic entry on, although I don't remember how pointed he made it, where he talked about the number of unit sales that he has that are specifically Vertigo-branded books. Yes. Um, the... I can see where their idea is, well, we want to be seen as as creating new IP as part of DC Entertainment, if you see what I'm saying. And, mm-hmm. and Vertigo being a sub-imprint, I think part what they're thinking is, is like, you know, if we take 
vertigo and we cut down its functions. We've already, you know, canned Karen Berger's husband. You know, she's what, you know, she opts out at the end of her contract. Um, she just basically takes retirement and vertigo ends up, you know, all the vertigo titles still continue to be, you know, um, published, but as DC folded under the DC banner under some sort of like DC mature or DC something and vertigo sort of, it just, it just goes away. So the idea is that DC entertainment looks like it's a <clears throat> stronger producer of IP than it does when you look at the two spreadsheets of DC and vertigo. Um, but it has a catastrophic effect I think in the marketplace in terms oh, I, of people I, I, being able to find vertigo quality books, you know? Yes. I, I think of that as true. It is such a ridiculous misreading of, of the market and of everything mm-hmm. <laughs> and of DC mm-hmm. um, that it's, it's, it bodes very, very ill for DC's future, completely separate from anything that Bob Harrison may be thinking. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, separate and apart from what, what, you know, that's a whole other fine kettle of fish that we can look at. But, but just for the future of the marketplace, the idea of being able to walk into a bookstore and not find a vertigo section because there is none and being able to, you know, sort of forcing people who have heard about things like DMZ or Northlanders or Transmetropolitan or... Um, you know, one of any dozen of other things directly in the bulk of DC, um, you know, is, is, I think is kind of, is kind of daunting, you know, certainly, you know, as Hib said, I shop at a store and worked at a store from which Vertigo had a demonstrably um, consistent level of attraction to the clientele. You know, we, we Mm -hmm. were, you know, Comics experience sort of, I think, skews DC, but even more so, it skews Vertigo to the point where those are titles that people come in and they check out, and they continue to check out because there is an association of quality that's there that's a lot harder to associate when it's just, you know, like I said, if it ends up being, you know, some version of like Marvel Max, I guess, you know, it's just not going to be the same. Like Marvel's Marvel's creator owned ventures and their, um, you know, adult imprints or mature readers imprints, you know, they still exist, but in a very sort of strange half neutered, you know. Yeah. And and I, I think if, if DC is looking towards icon and Max as ways to, fold these things into the DC proper. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's horrible because I think definitely Max, maybe not I, uh, Icon, but definitely Max is a lesson on how not to do these things. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And and the Icon thing is kind of distressing too because there's, um, you know, it's a relatively mercenary um project it seems to me from the outside it looks very calculated marvel seems to me to have very little interest with the idea of having a creator owned line except to the extent that they want the creators that they have publishing underneath it you know as something yes to yes keep exactly it's 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 a it's a perk you, it's, it's a, a you were you were interested in this therefore we will do it but we don't really want to do it like 
Right, exactly. And then at some point, you know, if like, you know, Bendis drives his bicycle off a cliff or, you know, uh, Brubaker ends up like lighting out for Hollywood altogether, like at some crucial point, it's very easy to see that line just disappearing overnight, uh, you know, with no one even blinking. And at least Vertigo seems to have, you know, a a much more extensive library and commitment of, of, of people to it at this point that I'm really, really hope continues to still be the case a year from now or two years from now. But I'm, I'm very, very worried about it. All I can, all I can think is that with the people that they've gotten rid of, Mm -hmm. a lot of what I would consider an important part of the vertical uh, renaissance recently Mm -hmm. would not have happened. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's it. And that renaissance is super, super recent. Like, Fables and Why the Last Man started, uh, you know, quite a while back, back actually when Heidi was there and left, you know, just kind of in that window, um, and had been running for a while, but it was kind of on exhausted fumes before Unwritten. Oh, yeah, yeah, Vertical. mm -hmm. I would say Vertical was uh, a mess. Mm-hmm. until maybe two or three years ago. I think so. I think so, too. I, I think around the I know, time... And also had no identity in a way that I think it does have an identity right now and will not a year from now. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of my worry, but we'll see. I mean, you know, uh, both Will Dennis and Shelley Bond have been at Vertigo for a long time, but it's the sort of thing of do they or don't they really, you know, would they be just as, I'm sure they wouldn't be just as happy to end up being folded into DC, you know, after Karen leaves, if Karen leaves. Um, but... You are, you seem fairly convinced that Karen's going to leave. Uh, you know, I and I'm, and I have no reason to. I have absolutely, I've got no inside knowledge. It seems like the sort of, it, it, it's just more the length of time that rumor has been in the wind. Now, it could be just the opposite. It could be the fact that Bob Harris being moved into the editor-in-chief in D.C. will actually alleviate the intensity of some of those rumors. Because the, the way I always heard it, and again, just the, the winds of, of, of D.C. gossip by the, the, the Kremlinologists, as Heidi McDonald would call them, is that Dan DiDio and Karen Berger utterly disliked each other and had wanted nothing, one wanted nothing to do with the other. And so once DiDio sort of stepped in as one of the, the heads of DC, everyone was kind of like, well, that, and with Richard Brunig kind of getting the boot, people really felt like this is this is a sign that Karen, you know, Karen's not going to stand up for it. She's not going to put up with it. And it's also kind of a sign from the, the powers that be that she's not considered valuable enough to, 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 to keep out of this position. But, you know, maybe she's got an awesome relationship with Bob Harris and Bob Harris is being put in there specifically as the head of everything to, so that they have someone that she can work with, you know, in terms of day-to-day operations and workflow that isn't, you know, dealing with Dan DiDio. So I I am I'm cons- consistently going back and forth about what Paul Paris is going to do to DC if anything. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um 
In part because for all of his negative press, mm-hmm. and I think we can all agree that Bob Harris has quite a lot of negative press out there. Um, <laughs> I I always want to, for some reason I want to defend him, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And what I want how I want to defend him is that he was not responsible for Marvel's bankruptcy. No, that is true. That there were lots of other forces going on. Mm-hmm. That it was the nineties, mm-hmm. and as much as anything, in my eyes. He let the creators do what they wanted to do and then just kept pushing it when he saw it was successful. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to do. Yeah, no. I... Do you know what I mean? I, I, I think, I, especially because tastes have changed now, mm-hmm. I think if he, he reacts to what creators want to do and what the, the market wants, we won't end up with the 90s again. Right. I think we might end up with something closer to Marvel, mm-hmm. but I don't think we'll end up with the 90s. Right. Um, and also, for everyone who's like, you know, fuck him, he did all this, that was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And he's, he's been pretty damn quiet since then, which suggests that, I don't know, it suggests to me that maybe he has, especially being the collections editor at DC, mm-hmm. he, he has learned some humility if he needed to. Ha. Uh, sorry, I just, that ha sounds bad, because I'm not sure anyone in comics ever learns any humility past a certain point, you know? It's kind no, of but like... you know what I mean? Like, I don't think you go from being an editor-in-chief of a company to being a collections editor for, what, three or four years at DC without, on some level... Like, I don't think you can be a diva and do that. Sure. Unless somebody put you in charge of the collections department telling you that they wanted you to learn how all the ins and outs of the company so that, you know, you can run it four years down the road. Oh my God. You really think that happened? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, (laughs) Harris, Harris did move across a lot of different areas of DC in a relatively short period of time. He's always been tight with the DO is my understanding. Um, And, you know, there's, there's a way that if he hadn't been, as high up in a position at Marvel, if he'd just been like some guy, like those moves would look more like somebody that was being, you know, sort of put on the corporate track of learning the different divisions of the company. I don't know. I'd agree with you if it wasn't for the fact that other people have done the same thing. I mean, look at Bob, Bob Greenberger. He's been everywhere in DC. Sure, sure. No, that's... That I, is... I don't think at any point he's been groomed to, to be the editor. Well, no, 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 also, no, for sure. I don't think at any point the deal or anyone else in DC thought that this would happen. Uh, Dude, at some point they're like, okay, so we're playing the long game. Let us, <laughs> I'll get his job and then yeah, I'll put you up there. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that strikes me as paranoia. Well, you know, what, what's a good criminologist without a certain dash of paranoia? Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. It's, it seems super unlikely. I'm just, a, I'm not willing to rule it out, and B, I kind of don't think that I, I don't think humility's the the thing that's going to make Bob Harris like a choice worth arguing for. I think it is more the fact that, um, you know, for better or for worse, I feel like DC has been trying to figure out ways to mimic Marvel's successes and kind of mimic Marvel's approaches to the marketplace. And Bob Harris is kind of the blueprint. He's not like the most absolute up-to-date blueprint, you know, but he's, he's got a significant amount, as you pointed out, the face of, you know, 
later day Marvel, if not the most current incarnation, owes just about everything to him, you know, um, in terms of, you know, in a way, without Bob Harris, I, my comic history is iffy, it's, but you wouldn't necessarily have, like, image comics without him, you no, know what I mean? No, you wouldn't, and also I don't think you'd have, like, Joe Casado without him. I think Bob mm-hmm. Harris is an incredibly influential figure in comics history. I agree. And I'm not given his due. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of strikes me as surprising is that DC didn't raid Marvel. Uh, you mean leading up to this, or no, no, no? Like as replacements for uh, as editor in chief. Mm. I'm surprised they didn't. I'm for all they know, for all I know they did, but mm-hmm. I'm surprised like they didn't make a serious play for like Tom Brevoort. Oh, I don't. I don't think they would ever think they'd have a chance with Tom Brevoort, and vice versa. I mean. Brevoort is openly critical of DC and DC's policies in the first over the last four or five years. And as far as I can tell, I mean, maybe this is different now that Levitz is gone, but DC seems very, very touchy about how about the respect with which it's treated, you know, DC corporate overall. I mean, you know, you might as well I, say I, like, I, I really I think that really was a, a Levitz thing, to be honest with you. Do you? Mm. Yeah, I I genuinely think a lot of that was uh, personal from Levitz. Mm. And I don't necessarily think it's a... I I don't even think it was personal as much as... um, I think Paul Levitz really saw a lot of Marvel's publicity and the way they acted as disrespectful to the industry at large. Right. As opposed to he was personally upset by it. Um, Yeah, I... I don't know. There's such the you know the 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 images and rumors of DC as sort of a classic corporate dinosaur just suggests to me that they wouldn't. I mean, you know, it's interesting following Brevort on his blogs and Twitter and stuff like that. He is a huge DC fanboy, but you know, so is Mark Wade, and I don't think they ever like considered you know Mark in the mix. You know, at at any level for anything for a good long time, you know, for certain reasons that, again, I, I'm not entirely sure have have to do with Levitz um, as much as it has to do with uh, certain perceptions, I guess. Um, but, I, but I could be wrong. I, I think what surprises me is more the idea that hmm, is what? Is that I'm kind of surprised that DC has done very little apart from, like, develop talent and drive it away, you know? Like, mm. the fact that, that you've got both Scott Dunbeer and Bob Shrek over at IDW is is kind of amazing to me. And S- Stephen Wacker, who... <laughs> okay, Graham, yes? why are you sealing yourself in a box? I think the, the listeners want to know. What? Are you sealing yourself in a box? It sounds like you're taping something or pulling the tape off of something. Or no, I, I I'm just <laughs> I I am actually picking up. I'm cleaning up after myself in the room. Oh oh, Graham. Classic bag. Podcasters hear? don't do that. Yeah, I know. It's like it's like really. I was like, I've just been caught. Damn it. <laughs> well, 
the sound clarity was such that I heard it and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to say anything. And then it happened again and I'm like, all right. And then it became like the Teletel cellophane heart or something. I'm like, what is happening over there? Yeah, do, you know what, do you know what it is, really? What? It's a bag of stuff from San Diego that I didn't even see until just now. Oh my god, it's like the ghost of San Diego Pass come to haunt you. No, no, but like with business cards and everything. <laughs> like other people's business cards? Yes! Or, oh my god. Is there anything like meaningful about it? That I feel like this is one of those synchroni- synchronistic uh, experiences that... Um... Well, I have Stephen Walker's business card. I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> um... You know, DC's... Oh, wow. While yes. we are talking... Yes? Do you want breaking news? Please. DC Comics drops prices on three ninety nine titles, moves to two ninety nine price point for all ongoing comic book series. Holy shit. That's... Starting January 2001. Amazing. And 2011, right? So yeah. That means... American Vampire, Batman the Dark Knight, Batman Incorporated, Green Lanterns, uh, Emerald Warriors, JLA All-Stars, Gears of War, God of War, Kane and Lynch, Ratchet and Clank, Action Comics, Adventure Comics, Batman, Streets of Gotham, Detective Comics, Doc Savage, Justice League of America, Legion of Superheroes, The Spirit, Batman Europa, First Wave, DC Legacies, Weird Worlds, and Worlds of Warcraft are all going to drop price. Wow. Wow. That is fantastic news. And that's including... Oh... Huh. Yes. But the backup stories are disappearing. Of course. But that's 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 very interesting. That is amazing. You know, it's funny. I was talking with Hibbs the other week at Comics Experience right before I left. And he was like, you know, I think the only thing that's real, he's really was worried about the marketplace. And he was kind of like, what we really need is we need 299 comics again. Well, well, DC's just giving it to him. But get yeah. this: American Vampire, Batman, Dark Knight, Batman Incorporated, Green Lantern, Emerald Boros, and JLL, JSA All Stars are all only going to have twenty pages of story. Wow! Whoa! Oh, Oive. Um. So they're dropping a dollar, but they're losing two pages. Which, which of course is a good swap. But I mean, I feel sorry for the creators who are suddenly being told, like, hey. <laughs> Guess what? Time to break out your magic erasing pencil. Um, I wonder how they're going to handle that. Uh, hopefully they've been given enough of a heads up. But wow, that is that is kind of huge news. I'll be curious. I, I can't imagine that Marvel's going to follow suit. Oh, no, all. but I, I, I can already tell you Marvel's response. Uh, yes, please do. Marvel's response is going to be saying nothing to defend 399, mm-hmm. but attacking the 20-page uh, thing. They're going to say, we will give extra pages of story at no cost when our stories deserve it. That will be the response. Yeah, probably. Um, it's a good move from DC. I think that it's, uh, if they can follow up with some other things so that, you know, because I think this was kind of kind of how I, I've sort of felt the comics have been perceived for a lot of people is is that it's it's kind of, 399 is that stage where it's very hard to get excited about stuff. You know, it just really like, even if a comics like is good, like really good, it kind of becomes the new okay a little bit, you know, at that price point. Like when you've got comics that are two ninety nine, at least you can buy three comics and bring it in under $10 uh, in, in a way that gives you more room to experiment with, you know? I mean, that really is a huge, huge 
change of pace. Um, but but here's the thing. Oh, yeah, this is when I sound incredibly, um, I don't know, moneyed. Mm-hmm. I will pay three ninety nine for a comic that I think is worth three ninety nine with absolutely no problem. Of course you will. But the the problem that I think both Marvel and DC have been having is the perception that there are not many of those titles that are out there. And I think the problem and the way that sort of passes down to retailers is when you have maybe one to four books that are worth paying three ninety nine for, you know, that come out uh, once a month, it gets a lot easier for customers to go only go to the store once a month rather than every week. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like mm-hmm. at that point, there is something, I, I think it's a good idea to get people back onto the habit and it gets people trying titles more. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I would have, I've totally, I don't even pick up for three ninety nine just because it doesn't seem worth it for me to look into. And I felt that way about a huge chunk of Marvel's titles. I'm trying to think what I was looking at at Bergen Street Comics where I picked up the book and I'm like, huh, this seems quirky enough to try, but not for three ninety nine. You know what I mean? Like it's just not it's it's not a very experimental experiment friendly price, I think. Um sort of the same way that I'm finding that when I go to Comixology, uh I don't need comics to be free but I'm much more willing to try a 99-cent comic book, uh, you know, digital comic, than I am going to try a $1.99 digital comic, sight unseen. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, considering... I, it would be great if Marvel was doing that because there's so many... Marvel really seems to be trying to reach for a certain level of fanboy sweet spot that should be... that sh- that really seems kind of designed for who I was as a comic book reader and as a Marvel fan, but mm-hmm. I just, I've either outgrown or I just can't buy into at three ninety nine a pop, you know? So I think it's good news. I hope that it ends up juicing up um, the marketplace because I think, I think the retailers need that. Like that's going to be a huge relief. I, I think Marvel will certainly will, will sooner explode into flames than than follow suit, but we'll see what happens. Oh, Mar- Marvel will not drop prices, or if they do, they'll drop prices temporarily and then quietly raise them again. Yeah, I, I don't even think they'll do that because Marvel is, and it, this is the thing that constantly gets me. Um, Marvel, I think, is so much more openly craven for the dollars. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm always surprised when people are like, well, DC's just a big corporation. It's like Marvel has people who literally say, we just want your money. Yeah. And like, that never seems to come back on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that always sort of makes my head spin. Yeah. No, it, it, it really is uh, impressive when you look back at the the Casada Jameis you know, PR campaign of, of 2000 or something where they were, they were like, yeah, DC is like AOL comics and it's just a big corporation and they just crank it out as part of a big corporation, you know, and we're the ones that are crazy and willing to try new stuff. Like that seems to like still be the message that people are turning around and saying without any irony whatsoever when the, you know, when clearly it's not, you know, neither side of that is entirely true anymore, or if it if it ever was, which it wasn't. You know, I don't I don't think it was ever true. And I think I, this gets back to what we were saying before. I think this is another of the reasons that I think Levitt's 
got upset and like openly got upset with Marvel's um, edit- editorial and Marvel's direction. Mm-hmm. For all Joe Quesada's well, Stan, all, it was always like this from Stan's day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. Like, he's made it into wrestling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you not think? I mean, he's, he. I, I feel like he has this idea of, well, this is an updated version of what Stan did. But Stan never, ever, ever called the competition out by name. Oh, no. Well, I ever. Mean- that, that, no, but he didn't. He, he, yeah. he called them Brandeck and he, whatever, but he never called them out by name. Stan's thing was inclusive. Yes. And Joe Quesada's thing is exclusive. Yeah. Well, it used to be exclusive. I don't really know that he's even bothered with that for the last couple of years. You know, I mean... Okay, the, the, I, actually, that's true. You know he's taking it over? It's on paper. Exactly. Yeah. I, I totally And it agree. all ties together. I find Brevoort's public statements when he's talking about DC and other publishers to be patronizing to the point of being offensive to me. Yeah, yeah. There no, was no. a... Uh, I, I mean, I, the other thing is, like, it's also addictive. I completely love reading Brevoort's porn <laughs> screen. No, but he will say things that, honestly, I'm like, I can't believe someone is not going to slap you for that. Yeah. Um, someone says something like, you know, what do you think of Boom and Boom's comics? And he was like, they're not important enough for me to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's no. like really mm-hmm. seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I really have to say that the Tom Brevoort is fascinating to me in that he is that. There's so much of it that is a level of like, I don't know, just you know, the the candor to the point of rudeness really suggests this kind of like entitlement that I, I always find, you know is kind of that sort of, you know, the secret nightmare of of people, you know, or, or certain sensitive folk like me, that comic book editors are really a certain way. And and Brevoort really does have that thing of, like, he's like, you know, I, I kind of don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about DC. I kind of don't give a fuck about Boom. I kind of don't give a fuck about, you know, like some of the questions where people are asking him stuff from the readers. He's kind of like... I really don't give a shit what you think, you know? And I mean, I have to say, on the one hand, the the addictiveness of it is that it's candid. And and there are times in which I don't even think that it's rude. I think there are times, particularly when he's trying to counsel various fanboys about their ideas or their opinions and where those ideas and opinions actually fit into the spectrum of what goes on at Marvel, um, are, are, are actually really useful things to have out there. You know, that you can actually point to it and have somebody say, no, 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 see, this is a very important editor at Marvel Comics, and he is telling you never come up to him at a convention with your, you know, 600-page, you know, uh, master plan on how to fix the Avengers timeline continuity, you know? It's just something that he's never going to even consider looking at, and it's out there in public, so... Um, but then the rest of it, yeah, when he's when he's talking boom, or even when he's like turning around and bashing DC for DC's uh, PR attempts, you know, like that whole like which one, you know, who's going to ship later? I bet that you know you're going to see the conclusion oh, yeah. to. I bet you're going to see the end of Siege before you see that Blackest Night. It's like really? Yeah, yeah, like what? You know, I mean, and it it really is. I don't I don't like it because there there are elements where. You know, I'm assuming I'm taking Brevoort at his word and assuming that's really him. And he's not somebody, 
you know, who doesn't walk away from, from the computer and go, okay, well, I sold them on that because, sweet Jesus, am I really dissatisfied for with how Secret Invasion wrapped up. You well, did, did you see the, um, what's it called? I think it's called TNA, the, the Brevoort Alonzo call mm. in CBR. Did you see them talking about people criticizing uh, the way that some books are sold, especially crossover books? Did you, did you see that one where they were essentially saying, someone said, you know, you you make everything sound that is very important, and they were like, no, some books aren't important, but you're, we're never going to tell people the books aren't important. Right. And then said, um, you know, what we do with all our crossovers is we make them, you know, if you only read the main series, that's fine. We'll never do something like DC did with Black as Night. And like, I really wanted. It wasn't like that. It would just like, it would be completely pointless for me because I'd just be like, seriously, you're talking out your ass, and right. they would never hear or care. Right. But it's a it's a lie. Right. And, and what struck me is two, for two things is, one, you could read the Black as Night core series fine on its own. Mm-hmm. Sure, things are happening outside of that series, but there is nothing that you need to know that does not come from that series itself. I, I read nothing but Black as Night. I read not a single crossover like issue of any kind. And, you know... It was what it was. At no point did I feel like the story was being left out. I mean, there was one or two points where suddenly a new set of people would fall out of the sky, you know, or there was kind of that weird, like, when, as you pointed out, there was that very awkward thing where, like, all those characters became Black Lanterns, and then that was completely not dealt with, I think, at the you know, where that took place in the other things, didn't it? Where, like, Wonder Woman, yeah, became, yeah. you know? all the resurrected heroes suddenly became Black Lanterns, and you're like, oh, shit. And then the next issue was in the middle of something else, and you were the one who kind of explained to me, like, yeah, that all happened someplace else. That's about as bad as it got, but it was nowhere at the level of, like, Siege made it sound like there was no way that you were going to be able to tell who farted in the main book without reading the who farted crossovers, you know, in the other Siege books. And I just thought that that was... What what particularly amused me about that is um, it came from Alonzo. Alonzo said that, right? And Alonzo said it's in the new X-Men, Curse of the Mutants thing, which has a crossover, obviously. And he's like, no, everything happens in the core series. And I'm reading the X-Men book, the, the, curse of the, the core one, the, 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 the vampire one. Mm-hmm. And I'm not reading any of the crossovers. Mm-hmm. And this is honestly what happens at the end of issue two. They said, we have to get Dracula... His head is under the water with the Atlanteans, and his body is hidden away. We'll have to go and do that. Get your teams together. And the third issue starts with Neymar going, here's the head. I had to go through a lot to get that, with a caption saying, see Neymar issue one. <laughs> and the body isn't even referenced. It's just there. And, like, there is no more obvious thing of saying you have missed a part of the story. Then to see before that, this will be a big deal to get this, and then the next time you see it, it's done. I I don't know, Graham. It depends. It depends on what you're structuring your stories after. Classic comic book term mythology. Yeah, that's a little awkward. Porn movies. That's pretty much how it happens. (laughs) My understanding. That's that's where I'm going wrong. Obviously, no. But seriously, it, it it's. I mean, I've said this countless times in this podcast. There is a stunning lack of self-awareness from people who work at Marvel. Right. A stunning lack of self-awareness. What they're like, we'd never do that thing that DC does. And first of all, DC doesn't necessarily do it. But secondly, they're doing it as they speak. Right. Exactly. Or it's a dangerous level of disingenuousness or, or a blend of the both. 
you know, because I'm, I'm not, there are times where I'm not sure, like, it really is that unself-aware. There are times where I'm like, I think that it's quite possible, you know, sort of in the same way that certain political parties continue to insist that they're not doing the things that they're doing, that they're very aware that what they're involved in is a war of spin. And I don't, I don't think that they... And they appear to be very comfortable to be doing exactly that. And it makes me it makes me uncomfortable because I do feel like, you know, again, to bring it back to Stan, like every issue got hyped like it was the most sense-shattering, you know, nerve-splitting first issue you'll read this year, Excelsior. But there really wasn't like, they weren't talking about why, like, the other people were screwing up and what we're doing is better, you know, and it's the same thing, you know, by not addressing, by leaving that stuff unaddressed, it does come off as classier. Um, but again, it, it, it seems, it, it really does feel like part of the American landscape to me. Like one of the things that makes me kind of uncomfortable with, with comics nowadays is back in the old days, c- comics was kind of its own thing that everyone talked about as like, nerdy and dysfunctional and not like the rest of American culture. And it's not just the superhero movies. I really do feel like it's very hard to distinguish American culture from from comics culture. And particularly when it comes to stuff with like Marvel and DC and the way in which they try to control the press, the way in which they try and control the message, and the way in which the message gets spun and respun in ways that that nobody ever seems to call them on, you know? There is no way to actually call Tom Brevoort on his stuff in a way that will ever stick, you know, as far as I can tell. Oh, no, I, and ultimately, like you said, like, Tom Brevoort does not care what you think. Mm-hmm. Tom Brevoort does not care what anyone thinks who does not employ him, who does not work with him. Yeah. In fact, that's it. I was going, right. I was going to go for another one. That's, that's it. <laughs> Tom Braver does not care. Unless you are actively impacting Tom Braver's day-to-day life, right. Tom Braver does not care what you think. Yes. And the sad thing is, there's nothing wrong with that. There's something wrong with making that seem as if it's a good thing. Right. Right. And that's because he shows off how little he cares. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the point where he crosses the line and becomes a dick. Right. And that's the point where all of this PR, no matter who it's coming from, crosses the line and, and, and becomes being a dick. Right, right. And I guess to bring this full circle, this kind of does get into that realm of Bob Harris's DC editor, is if there is a guy who sort of had an early face on that, Bob Harris also came, you know, he wasn't in the public eye as much, but the various stories that had come out, the press that has come out since, like if there's anyone who was kind of an early master of that, it was Bob Harris. Now, I mean, you know, obviously there were guys like Jim Shooter who, you know, long before, well, not that much long, but while running Marvel, clearly had the same attitude. Uh, But how it manifests itself and to what extent they could be called on what they were doing or what was happening. Like, do you remember how, like, wasn't there some retailer who wrote a letter complaining about Bill Jameis and basically ended up, you know, it was one of the factors that ended up in in Jameis leaving Marvel? Like, that just seems amazing to me that that 
ever happened or it could happen today. You know? It could not happen today. I, I can't, it, it, it could no not. Mm-hmm. I honestly think that as soon as um, Marvel was bought by DC, by um, by Disney rather, <laughs> it's because nice. I'm semi-reading Twitter with everyone talking about this this page. Ah. Uh, um, I think as soon as Marvel was bought by Disney, any level of consumer control over Marvel completely went out of the fucking window. Uh, interesting. I have to think that Mar- that consumer control over Marvel was at the point where it was utterly, utterly helpless. Anyway, I actually am curious. May- it might be possible that maybe Marvel being bought by Disney will actually have the opposite results. I doubt it. I think Disney is going to be super, super, super hands-off, but maybe not. Maybe they're the sort of corporation that's kind of like, I don't understand why I'm going to like the Marvel.com website and all I'm seeing is 300 pages of people complaining about why there's so many Deadpool one-shots, you know? I mean, that seems naive because you'd have to find somebody like a Disney executive who's never read the internet before, but, you know, it, <laughs> it could happen. You know, I no, I really don't think it will because I think Disney will look at Marvel's bottom line and be like, okay, sure, absolutely. I, I don't understand it. People seem pissed off, but it seems to be working. Right. Well, and which is the other reason why I don't think you'll never see like you know DC has always been part of Warner, and you could have those guys turn around and say, here's why we should cut prices to two ninety nine, and you have a shot at it working. But even if Marvel was interested in cutting back to three ninety nine, which they're not. I don't see any reason at all, you know, being owned by Disney, why they would turn around and go, hey, guess what? The marketplace seems a little bit iffy. We're going to voluntarily, like, cut our profits by 25%, you know, for the good of the industry. Like, I'm sure Disney would be like, I'm sorry, what? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't think so. Yeah. That, that, we're just not following that here. Yeah, because Disney also would be like, you know, we really don't care about comics and Honestly, everything that we've done in our history has proven that we don't care about comics. We bought you for the movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, we bought you for the for for the movies, the bed sheets, and the cartoons on our channel. Yeah, you know? it's like if we want to publish comics, you know, we've got enormous retail venues, and they're called Disneyland's, and we can always put publish them there if we need to. Yeah. So. Which which is funny because Marvel. I think is now in the hands of a company that doesn't really give a shit about comics, but Marvel's so powerful in the comic industry that Disney not giving a shit about comics could impact every other comic publisher in existence. Oh yeah, completely. I, it's just, I mean, it, it's, you know, you kind of want to cry when you realize that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Cause it really is like, you know, it's like, Cause taking, here's taking... the thing. I think DC is being really, really, I think this is a great move, even though it loses two pages for the lead features, even though it loses the backups. I think this is a great move. I think more people are going to buy DC Comics as a result of this move. Oh, I think DC is being responsible for this yeah. when doing this. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ultimately going to have an effect. Uh, right, exactly. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. I, On the one hand, I'm inclined to believe you. On the other hand, part of me is like, who knows? If people were like, hey, two ninety nine comics, that's great. I'm very excited about it. The retailers, super excited and are like, you know what? I'm going to push DC Comics a little bit more because, frankly, I can buy and sell more of those comics. Um, you know, I have more freedom in my bottom line to do so, essentially. Uh, 
all DC really needs at that point is to actually publish stuff that does not ske- seem like schizophrenic bullshit uh, and publish <laughs> things that actually seem good and they might have a shot. Now, I'm a big DC fan and I'm entirely biased and even with that I'm going to say good luck trying to make that stick. <laughs> Wow, the DC fan speaks. <laughs> no, really? I, I mean, I, I even like a lot of the stuff that DC is publishing right now, which puts me in a vast minority. Right. But DC has always been schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, even in what a lot of people today, especially a lot of people online today, consider the good old days of, like, 2000 when Grant Morrison was doing Justice League, mm-hmm. you had, like... You had Judd Winnick's Green Lantern at the same time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You had you Wait, had all these books. That... I like Judd Winnick's Green Lantern. Is that your point or no? Uh, my, my <laughs> point, that's not my point. And the reason I say that is I got the um, DC Comics Presents Green Lantern yesterday, the reprint before issues from Judd Winnick's run. Uh-huh. And I swear to God, if you told me that was from nine years ago and not from maybe 15, I, I, would, I was shocked. <laughs> I, it honestly seems so dated. It seems like it's something that Dan Jurgens would have smiled on in 1994. Ouch. Ooh. <laughs> that wasn't meant as much of a burden as I think it's just a burden. It's meant as a burden, but not that much of a burden. <laughs> well, and I mean, to be fair, I have not reread those issues. I'm, I'm, sure, they, I'm sure they don't hold up at all. But is it just. Put it in historical context with what Marvel was doing at the same time, and it's it's just like oh, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know maybe there's probably stuff that I think Marvel was publishing that was pretty junky at the time too. I I, oh, yeah. I, I, I mean I, I do feel that Judd Winnick sort of uh, has gone on to lose some of his luster. At the time, I remember reading him thinking that he was sort of an enjoyably Claremont influenced writer that kind of had a way, like, it was a little overwrought, but at least I felt like it was it was more or less well-intentioned and occasionally entertaining. But I do know and can say for a fact that I did not pay any, you know, I've never bothered to reread those issues. I don't know if I still have those issues. I can't even imagine what happened to them. They might have been the type of, con- I might have read them and thrown them into the street immediately afterwards. I just have to say, in the interest of full disclosure, although I haven't checked out that showcase, that at the time I thought that they there was some potential there. They were not terrible. Uh, and I remember thinking that the stuff, the, the Kyle Rayner stuff from Ron Mars that came beforehand, I did think was kind of terrible. So, oh, it's, 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 yeah, but sure. Then you're, then you're grading on a curve that is like, wow, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Kim Jong-il is a bad guy, but he has, has he killed, has he done genocide with the Jews? <laughs> I mean, really, I, Context is everything, JF. That's all I'm saying. Boy. I have just realized that compared to Judd running. Thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm glad you got on. I realized that too. I'm like, wow. Context indeed, Graham. Context indeed. Oh, Lord. All right. You well, can tell we're practicing this podcast thing, can you? <laughs> Okay, well, uh, on that merry note, it's been almost an hour. Should we jump now and come back and talk about 
comics what we're reading or do you feel there's I'd, more news I'd, that we've I'd, got I'd, that we should or uh let's talk about comics that we're reading okay let's let's yes. do that <laughs> listeners when you tune in tomorrow or whenever we put the next episode up we'll be talking about comics that we've been reading i might even complain about chad winning some more <laughs> see they might as well just like they've got their 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 podcast dial set right now i mean who i who couldn't love the idea of listening to Graham compare Judd Winnick to other great <laughs> dictators throughout history? Hey, I said he wasn't as bad as Hitler. Come on. Yes, Give I know. Some... I, I, it's, not the, it's not how no, you're comparing them. That's, it's just that, that you're means, comparing compare, them. That means I compared Ron Mars to Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> well, which, considering the way that he seems to be handling any criticism of Top Cow these days. Exactly. Uh, I, I'm doing that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>